Welcome back to Dev Dive episode 25. As always, I'm your host, Nighthawk. Today, my guest is Adam Cohen, a.k.a. Riot Afik, Associate QA Manager of the Game Analysis Team. I want to thank Adam for coming on to the show in such short notice. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this one. I think I got in contact Thanks for with, having me. I think I got in contact with you on Friday evening or something like that. I'm like, hey, do you want to come on the show? And you're like, yeah, sounds like fun. Um, sounds about right. <laughs> so I really appreciate you coming on. You know, this is going to be a good episode. We got a lot of great things lined up to talk about. Uh, so let's start out with our favorite topic. Uh, how did you actually get started in game dev? Oof. Uh, so I'm not going to give you my origin story quite yet, but okay. uh, essentially, I loved video games my whole life. Um, oh God, I'm about to go into my origin story. <laughs> Skipping ahead, uh, <laughs> my first job in the industry was working at Irrational Games on Bioshock Infinite. I was a QA for the shipping of that game, and uh, my boss at the time uh, knew I played a lot of League, knew I liked League, and he knew uh, people at Riot. Uh, he knew some of the QA people at Riot. This was back in, like, 2012. Uh, so he liked me a lot. He recommended me. He recommended that I apply there after my contract with Irrational Games ended. I interviewed, and I got a job. So I've been at Riot ever since. So Bioshock, Infinite, I actually, that was one of my favorite games in the Bioshock series. I'm in the credits. You can find yeah. me. <laughs> we'll, we'll look up after the game and we'll find you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I love that game. Me and my brother both played the Bioshock series 1, 2, and 3, nice. even though most people like to forget about 2. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, so what was your educational background before you worked at Irrational? Uh, so I majored in physics. I went to uh, Univers University of Massachusetts Amherst. I am from the East Coast. Um, yeah, and then I took that education. I worked for a professor in a lab for a bit, but uh, ultimately that wasn't for me. So uh, it turns out I was still able to take a lot of my learnings from my major and apply it to working at Riot. The focus that I had was mostly around um, you know, logic-based, thinking outside the box. How do, you, how do you break down a large problem into more tangible pieces? And I uh, had lots of physics examples I could pull from, and it turns out that uh, that life experience is translatable to other stuff, and that was beneficial to me. It seems to be a bit of a common theme coming on the show <laughs> for people who, who are yeah. like, yeah, I didn't really get traditionally trained into games. Where I came from this background or that background. Actually, last week our guest was a a doctor, um, a biomedical doctor uh, who transitioned into games. He was the, the founder of Mobilytics. So nice. Definitely like a lot of uh, rich backgrounds from people coming on the show, which is awesome because I think mm -hmm. getting a, like you say, getting a, a different background can always translate into these like big problem solving, breaking down problems, stuff like that. Um, so I definitely like to hear that. Um, For sure. So did you work in anything before Irrational Games other than the working in the lab? Or is that sort of just like transition? Uh, I mean, so from college, it was right. I had a few like high school job. I was a camp counselor for a bit. Uh, in college, I worked part time at a liquor store, actually. Oh, yeah. um, but, you know, nothing, nothing real. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. I was a camp counselor, too. Uh, had a lot of fun with it. Nice. I taught kayaking and stuff. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, it was uh, it was archery and ropes course for me. So a hey, cope. Those those ones don't really translate to what I currently do, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe that's for the best. So so, what was your entry point into QA? Like like was it just 
applying at Riot Games and, and them seeing your background and saying like, hey, this this seems like a good guy for the job. Or sorry, sorry. Mm-hmm. So it's actually Irrational Games was your entry point. I'm, it was Irrational first, yeah. Uh, so the job at Irrational Games really was in, in like boxed games. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, you know, any any one-off shipping things that don't really get updated they have a cycle of right before ship they bring on a whole lot of qa to test stuff uh it is very busy work uh grunt level tasks really just running through the same thing over and over and over again and writing up bugs and stuff like that um a lot of a lot of what i did there I actually was able to pull from like physics examples and like setting up an experiment. It's like, okay, how do you narrow down like what the bug is? You found an issue. How do you figure out what is explicitly causing it? How do you isolate variables and move forward? So it tied into that. That was really my first QA experience. Um, from there, applying at to Riot, they at Riot it's pretty different. It's a lot less of the uh, grunt work and more of the like higher level um, strategic approaches to how are you going to generate coverage for this thing as opposed to physically run through the thing covering it yeah I, i've definitely heard that a bit from from a few of my friends who work at riot um mm-hmm. we've actually had uh i don't know his last name <laughs> i should probably know it. riot ranger aka alex uh i've had him alex shirell he's an awesome he guy. was at my wedding yep I, uh, <laughs> oh, i'm I so him. sorry <laughs> <laughs> no i like him a lot me and him go we go way back yeah he's a really he's good, a good guy. guy yeah um so now that you're at Riot in this part of the story, what job titles have you held? Because you said that you started about seven years ago now at Riot Games. Yeah, twenty twenty thirteen was my first year. Um so the titles I care less about the titles. The type of work I was doing was always on the QA side of things. Uh at first, the first team I joined at Riot was like a pretty much jack of all trades it was hey your team is going to find random issues in league and fix the highest priority ones so we did that for a while um that team eventually got wound down or spun down uh and later in 2013 i did i was uh qa on um the ai refactor so this is this is a long time ago, right 2013 so the bot update that happened that year, uh, I was QA on that, so I, I helped a lot. I know I know more about uh, how Tristana bots logic for how she jumps behind you and ults away, and like how she uses that to escape. I know too much about how she does that, but uh, that maybe didn't age as well as some of the other projects I worked on. Um, from there, uh, I when that team finished its work, uh, that's kind of when the playtest team started. Back in back then, it was a playtest team. It's now known as the game analysis team. Um, so I worked, the vast majority of my career at Riot has been uh, building up and growing that team. That, t- that team is like, the team that I'm on currently is kind of like, it's my baby, right? Like, I, I, I saw it from inception, we grew it up, now we're, now we're doing all these bigger and better things, and uh, it's pretty satisfying. So that's the bulk of what I've done at Riot. Uh, there was one six-month period, uh, was it a few years ago, where I worked on, like, some network code updates to make Wi-Fi more stable for League of Legends. Uh, there was a dev blog on it, but I'm not gonna bore with the details of that project. <laughs> was that um? Was that? I think I actually remember that because I had a friend who worked on a video for that. The the update it was called like "What happens when you press Q as Ash" or something like that. Um, uh, I don't I, think it was that one actually. I know exactly what you're talking about. This okay. one was much more behind the scenes. Oh, uh, okay, okay. Uh, I do yeah. remember when when Riot was was 
uh, need I say bragging about their uh, upgrades to their network <laughs> stuff. Man, back in the day, you remember the the pain of East Coast ping um, way, way back then. I think it was 120 or something like that. Yeah. And they made the big shift to Chicago servers, and I'm like, yes, finally. <laughs> Too um, close to when I started at Riot, so I, I got to experience sub-10 ping for a little, and then it, it, ruined then it shifted, but oh, nah, I... It's better this way. <laughs> <laughs> it's mediocre Plus, for everyone, have, so it's better for everyone. Now I have an excuse when I can't flash a Malphite ult. It's like, mm-hmm. just ping diff, right? That's not my fault. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that, that 30 <laughs> extra ping really, really makes yeah. a lot of difference. Um, so this is actually something I thought was funny, because since you've been at Riot Games so long, uh, like, what are some of the major differences you noticed between now and, like, when you first started in the company itself? God. Um... So I think the the most impressive thing to me is the amount of work or output we're able to generate with limited resources. So a common misconception from, I guess, your average player is why don't why doesn't Riot just throw more money at it, um, or or like why don't they just have some more people do it? And the mm-hmm. truth is uh, that's not sustainable, right? Like you can chart out the annual income or like gross salary of riot games and the annual cost to maintain that if you're always hiring more people and the income isn't increasing like the lines are going to cross in a pretty bad way and eventually it's gonna shit's gonna hit the fan um so it is important to be mindful of resources and one of the things that has continued impressed me is how much output uh different teams can get out of limited number of people that has that has been like that has continued to impress me there are a lot of things that have changed there are a lot of things that are absolutely amazing but that one like still gets me <laughs> <laughs> there's a great quote from from uh now x rider ryan rigney uh right yep. on twitter where he said something about um how game developers aren't like villagers in age of empires 2 where you can't just attach a bunch of them to town center and make it build fast <laughs> Yeah, that's a um, that's a much more tangible. <laughs> yeah, I can't take people from from the art department and fix the client with them or something like that. Right. Um. On the flip side of that question, <laughs> what are the biggest changes you've seen in the game in the past seven years? I mean, it's kind of a cop out answer, but it's preseason this year, right? The, yeah, that's true. I think, actually, I don't think I know. Hands down, this is the single largest patch I have ever worked on. Um. Not even close. I think Runes Reforged gave it a run for its money, but at the end of the day, it's it's not even similar scope. And I remember I remember the feeling that I had like shifting or shipping Runes Reforged when that went. I had no idea what was going to happen. It was pretty 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 un, a lot of uncertainty in how it would all play out. Um, and then fast forward to where we are now, I felt I felt great uh, shipping twenty twenty preseason or twenty twenty one preseason. Um, I'm super excited about the items. I mean, there's still stuff that needs ironing out, but holistically, I'm just very happy with how the game feels, how the items are doing, what the choice structure is, uh, the impact of all that. And back to my previous point, uh, we didn't get more resources. We got better at doing what we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's an awesome answer. Um, the three main points in League of Legends history that like stand out to me are like one, the new Rift, Yep. Two, and that's a long time ago now. You don't that's realize all, how like, long ago. That's like, it's like more than half of League's lifetime lifespan yeah. has been on this version. Yep. 
which is crazy. And then, so, so New yeah. Rift, Runes Reforged, obviously, that we just talked about. And then, I think right now, the item rework system. And I, I don't think it's hyperbole in the least to say that this is, like yep. you said, it's one of the <laughs> biggest changes we've seen in League of Legends in a long time. Because every, sure. every single item got, well, every single item got a, got a facelift at least, and most of them got reworked yep. in some way. Um, and I'll, I'll admit, I haven't had the most time to play on the on the new patch recently, so I'm not like the mm-hmm. most familiar, which is a little embarrassing considering how much I, I play League of Legends normally. But... How dare you not have six <laughs> months of experience like me already when it's been out for two weeks? <laughs> I'm very I'm very impressed with myself that I'm able to recognize some of the item icons and I'm be like, oh, that's nice. What that is. <laughs> uh, I last think those night... get cleaned up a little this patch, but yeah. Last night you were think, you were streaming uh, and I, I joined your chat. I'm like, uh, what should I play? And usually they're like, last chance to play AP Volleyball before it gets nerfed. I'm like, okay, going into it. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, Nasher's Tooth and Rocket Butt. I'm like, which one is Nasher's Tooth? Uh, oh, that one. <laughs> yeah. So we did it. And we won the game. All thanks to your Excellent. build. Excellent. Wizard, Wizard Bear strikes again. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. That, that AP Zach Top didn't stand a chance. Not even close. <laughs> He's just... Just can't compete with your new attack speed ratios and whatnot. <laughs> uh, so going back a step, like if somebody wanted to get into your role at just a games company in general, not necessarily right. Like what type of skills should they look into honing or, or developing? Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a tough question. I think it is going to vary pretty heavily um, depending on where you're going. So my default is my default answer is like strong communication skills. No matter no matter what, uh, those are going to serve you well. I think targeting like a QA job is less common in the sense that it has a tendency to be more of an entry level role. So um, people aren't necessarily looking for experience or hard skills. So what you want there is some of the soft skills that'll translate into success. Um, communications at the top of that list. Um, problem-solving skills are up there. Critical thinking abilities. Um, I think I think those are going to be like my top my top go-to things I look for, as well as adaptability. Because again, if it is an entry-level position, people are often interested in growth potential. Mm-hmm. So if you can have some way of demonstrating that, that'll go a long way as well. Um, I can't speak more towards what I specifically look at for uh, my role, but also my team is pretty specialized with with uh the type of skill set that we're looking for yeah definitely and i think honestly a lot of those things are, are good to just work towards in any real role good people not skills. even game yeah. dev, just <laughs> just good life skills um exactly and it's something that that it is hard to really just pick up if you're not like doing something it's, it's hard to be like i'm very skilled in, in this or that uh, but getting a job in, in any tech industry or any any industry like that will instantly become like a great way to get those skills started because you're gonna For have sure. to use them, and if you don't have them, you're gonna have to develop them uh, eventually, <laughs> or else yes. things might yes. not go your way. And um, that can be much more difficult. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we mentioned the game analysis team, and I think this is a term that not a lot of people will be familiar with unless they're more. Uh, into like game development. So, why did the name change from the playtest team to the game analysis team? Sure. So the main uh, driver there is the new name is much more indicative of what it means to be on our team. I think there are a lot of like 
common misconceptions with a playtest team. They're like, oh, you just play the game for a living. Uh, when in reality, that is very far from what we do. Uh, playtesting is a tool in our kit, but it is it does not define what our overall output is. Um, a lot of what we do really is analyze the game. We more empirically show why or why and how we come to our conclusions, uh, how those conclusions will impact future game states and stuff of that nature. And, uh, you know, in doing so, we're going to play the game, but it really is a lot more than that. Mm -hmm, definitely. And just to be, to, to hone in a little bit more on that question, like what sort of things are affected by the decisions that the, your team makes? Like what is actually changing in League of Legends? Uh, so the design process in general, people that I've spoken with often don't have a strong understanding of what like game development actually looks like. Uh, there's a there's a lot of iteration. You don't you don't be like, all right, this is the change I want. Here are the numbers. All right, throw it in a test. Let's go. It is a lot of, hey, here's something. The numbers are going to be way off. How does this pattern feel? It's like, okay, now the pattern feels pretty good. We found something that we think is enjoyable. How does it how does it interact with the rest of the kit? It's like, okay, now we have a kit. How does that interact with League of Legends holistically? What is this champion's role? It's a lot less like it's a lot more of an iterative process than it is uh kind of just, you know, sit in a bubble for three months and then you come out with this amazing piece of content. That's not that's not how it works. So it the game analysis team does is we drive on a lot of those iterations. We test that first version where nothing is balanced at all, and we don't even know if the thing we're looking at is going to be fun. Uh, we help direct like, hey, where should this champion's strengths and weaknesses be? What should this pattern be? Uh, what are some trade-offs if we want to make this part of the kit strong? How likely is this going to impact pro play versus, uh, you know, normal MMR games? Um, so we have we have a lot of influence in the design process as a whole, and we help speed it up. That's that's kind of how our team plugs into the whole system. So this is probably a question that you get asked a lot, or at least I'm sure there's like a relevant part of this. Like, what? How is the game analysis team different from from like the balance team on League of Legends? Like, they're uh, making so, decisions based yeah. on like win rates and stuff, and you're making. So we work very closely with them. So there is a lot of overlap. Uh, they typically set the goals of changes and uh, implement the changes themselves while we validate that the changes are, are meeting the goals. <laughs> uh, on an individual level, or sorry, in terms of QA, QA, uh, game analysis team is considered QA, which is quality assurance. Um, but we do validation. So this is more like, hey, is the goal doing the thing we want it to do? If not, what is it doing? And stuff like that. Uh, QA on the Summoner's Rift team or Black Balance team, uh, they do more like functional. Is it when you press the button, does it do the thing? Does it cast the ability? So it's more like bug related stuff as opposed to pattern related stuff. Okay. So that, that's kind of like the biggest difference there. So what are some major misconceptions about the game analysis theme other than the fact that you aren't the balance team? <laughs> yeah, so yeah, um, I am going to repeat that. We are not the balance team. Uh, <laughs> we do work closely with them. And uh, analysis goes a lot more than just playing playing the content. One of the other things I often hear is like, how did, how did the, people still say playtest team, how did playtest team miss X or whatever? It's like, well, it got iterated uh, once a day, every day, for about three months. We started to get a stable version, and we tested that for about a week. Uh, we identified these problems. 
we are accepting this risk and uh, you know, there's still these unknowns and then it ships and people are like, why did you miss that? It's like, because you don't understand how the entire process works, but there's a, there's a lot more that goes into it. Um, it's funny. I, I've asked people the question like, all right, how many games do you need to get confidence in this thing? And people were like, honestly, I think I could do it in 10. And I'll just be like, cool. First of all, I don't believe you. Second of all, uh, you have one, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> it is exceptionally rare that we will p play the same piece of content 10 times. Uh, it just, it gets iterated, so it changes. And you have to constantly account for that bias, that shift, the the moving pieces. And when you are testing it, you have to also keep in mind, we're not responsible for just one champion at a time. We're responsible for every change that goes into Summoner's Rift on League of Legends. So you have combating test points. How do you how do you get a good feel on Victor when you also need to test AP itemizations mid? Also, uh, Seraphine is a new champion that we're playing mid every other game. Like, it is much harder to get a power read on a champion when you're testing it against an unknown versus when you're testing it against a known factor or a known quantity, um, which is this is a bit of a sidetrack, but no, uh, that, is an side <laughs> that, is, that is an example of like my physics background actually being beneficial. Um, there's this thing called the scientific method. <laughs> uh, a lot of the principles, a lot of the principles apply where you're trying to isolate var variables. You're trying to test hypotheses and uh, you know, you either disprove them or they stand up to a lot of testing and you gain confidence in them. Um, this is this is a long-winded way of saying game development is difficult, uh, and we do our best. And sometimes it's not good enough. And what we always try and do is push push the bar higher and raise the bar for what we're really testing and getting better at um, anticipating risks. Yeah, and I've had this conversation before with a few people, where if you look at every single moving part in a game like League of Legends, it's it's literally in the like the the, I don't know what a number bigger than trillion. It's in the trillions <laughs> of trillions of yep. different possible like iterations, like yep. you said. You have to look at the number of champions that are in the game, the number of items that are in the game, runes, how those champions all interact with each other, like different game states, how much gold a champion has at this exact time in the game. There's there's so mm -hmm. many different points that like little cogs in a in a clock that make a difference. Um and this is a tangent as well, but I actually want to ask you about this because I think you might have some good sure. insight on this. Um, do you think an AI can get to the point where it, not like an AI that you programmed, because I know you said you had had uh, experience on that, but like an outside AI, something like Google DeepMind or, or DeepThought or whatever it's called, um, can get to the point where it can play League of Legends better than most players? Mm -hmm. So the progressive optimist in me thinks it is inevitable mm -hmm. uh not a matter of if but a matter of when but the more realistic answer is i am not convinced that we will i will see it in my lifetime um <laughs> wow okay <laughs> that, i mean this is this is more a question of what is the advancement of ai looking like mm -hmm. i think i think you can create something exceptionally complex and it'll constantly make above average decisions and execute flawlessly um i think the degree to which you would need to like implement logic trees and decision making paths and stuff like that is um 
currently unrealistic. Have, are you familiar with, with StarCraft II's uh, endeavor into this whole... I am not. Okay. I'll try to share, and I, I'm definitely not the greatest person to share this expertise, but I'll try to share what I know about it, and hopefully it's somewhat accurate. Um, mm-hmm. So Google has been developing a artificial intelligence or a branch of artificial intelligence that can play StarCraft II um, on a level higher than most professional StarCraft II players. And it's been successful to the point where they have to use artificial limiters to give players a fighting chance because one, um, and we'll get into the differences between StarCraft and League in a second because there's a lot of them. Uh, One, StarCraft uh, has a lot more to do with actions per minute or APM than a game like League. Um, So obviously AI is going to have regular players beat in that because they they have pretty much uncapped APM. So one thing that that the Google team did was they capped APM to a certain level. I forget exactly what it was. I'm sure it's different every time. Um, But they capped it to a certain level for uh, a certain time and they saw like, can this AI still beat other players now if it's not perfect microing every unit, blah, 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 blah. Uh, And it still was um, out strategizing people, out macroing people, out microing people, even with a capped uh, APM. And the only reason I bring this up for a game like League is because League and StarCraft, they share sort of like core DNA where it's like a a top-down view and you're controlling a unit or a bunch of units. But they, from there, they sort of branch off to completely different uh, genres where one is a lot more about strategy, uh, planning, um, uh, knowing which situation to go what, like when to buy items, when to buy... Uh, when to go dragon, when to get this camp. And then the other one is sort mm-hmm. of a lot more about just like out in, in the, at this level of gameplay, out microing people. Um, right. So with that, hopefully intelligible bit of information, what do you think now? I will say, I think uh, League has more macro nuances, mm-hmm. which I think would be, which are generally harder to uh, you know, create an AI for. Mm-hmm. Um, that is my assumption. I think the micro stuff, that's like, that's almost trivial, right? Like, that's just very clearly, yes, you can have a computer, you can have AI out micro an opponent. Mm-hmm. Um, the decisions are much more, like, the logic tree is a lot more condensed. Yeah. Um, it depends. It also depends how you would consider things like, uh, drafting and coordination and stuff of that nature um it's hard to say it really is (laughs) i think if you do it right then maybe it's much closer than i initially said uh but there there are just so many things where i wouldn't even know i wouldn't know where to begin yeah Uh, it's it's (laughs) or or i know where to begin. i don't know how to push it push it far like you'll hit a wall and then how do you push how do you break through that first wall you hit mm-hmm. and i know depends that where they, it is depends yeah i know that the way that they they teach their artificial intelligence is that they literally just like it's like the uh machine learning thing that that youtube does where they literally just show it millions and millions of hours of gameplay and sort of just like have it test a thousand different iterations of itself and see which one wins and then they versus yep. the winners against each other and then hopefully improve based on that. And then the only reason that they're actually playing the artificial intelligence against real players is because when you're versing AI versus AI, they sort of develop these strategies that nobody actually ever uses. And it's just like, 
<laughs> you'll like it, in a game like League, it would be like if it put all five players mid for some reason, and that was just right. like the best <laughs> the best strategy for AI. But it, of course, that would never work in a real game of League. Um, right. Yeah, I don't know. That it's it's sorry for in- tangenting into this, but I oh, thought no that worries. Was a, it's that was an interesting. So we ended up we did end topic. up doing. I remember when we were doing the AI change. One of the things we did is like bots had a had a problem with closing out games and caveat all this this is back in 2013 like Mm -hmm. understanding of league was very different um there were so many other differences about the game back then too yeah like even something as simple as role assignments like okay it's mid game how do you decide who goes to which lane Uh, i i remember the solution we ended up going with but even that question is loaded like some people say like oh you know how much value do assign to each turrets how how much should you prioritize pushing it really is so nuanced that getting it better than players is a uh, it balloons it balloons very quickly <laughs> so i want to ask you this uh was the decision to not make bots jungle was that sort of just outside of the scope of the project or was that sort of to be more friendly to newer players outside of the scope hands okay. down <laughs> cuz i'd love yep. to see i'd love to see master yi enter the jungle and oh, god on please no <laughs> So what do you think is the best bot in League? Is it any bot? Oh, I don't even remember. Um, they did like a specific multi-champion refactor since mm-hmm. I worked on it. And I haven't played AI in, <laughs> I don't know, six years. So You don't grind AI games? Oh my god. Uh, yeah, shocking, Some game right? analysis. Uh, Annie, <laughs> yeah, Annie was up there. Um, I remember Vagar was up there. Actually, I'm going to tangent a bit. I remember funny story because... I helped work on the logic for when they should use like Zanyas and stuff like this in Flash. Mm-hmm. I remember playing Heimerdinger versus Vagar bot. And then, uh, you know, the fight was pretty close because I was being greedy with my recalls. Uh, and it was pretty evenly matched towards... I was, I was in the enemy base, so I had no right being there, but it was, it was close. Uh, I remember doing my combo and uh, Zanyasing. And then as I Zanyas, the, the bot init- immediately Zanyas. I'm like... <laughs> What what just happened? And then as it you know the pr- fight progressed a little, and I flashed away, and then like almost in the same instant, it flashed away. I'm like, what is going on here? And then the person who helped me implement, he looked, he's like, Adam, it's using your logic. <laughs> it's like it's literally just doing what you taught it to. I'm like, oh my god. Well, at least I'm consistent. But uh, that was that was kind of like an aha moment in a way. Uh, but I still say Vegar's. Vagar's the best bot. <laughs> and then after you killed it, it said, Father, why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, it just starts spamming sad emotes. <laughs> oh, man. I don't think oh, bots actually can emote then, now. But... I know that. I now know they that. can, yeah. yeah. Back then they back then they couldn't. But... Yeah. Yeah. Man, emotes. That was a, that was a topic of discussion. <laughs> um, I forgot where we were. I think... Oh, okay, okay. We were talking about, uh, we already talked about what a day in the life of the Game Plus team kind of looks like. Um, let's talk more about like what your fondest memories are of working on this team and working at Riot have been. Jeez. Uh, I think some of my fondest memories are just going through replays or just listening to comms in the moment because in-dev champions are very different than live champions. They're, uh, they're not balanced. They do some messed up stuff. And uh, there are some funny moments. I think uh, most recently there is like there's a bug with uh, Yone or this was like in development, so maybe like two months ago, with them buying Rageblade. 
where uh, their crit would go negative. So the Rage Bait Blade proc would either deal zero damage or like 12 digit damage. <laughs> so there's just a, a Yone running around, absolutely one shotting everything, but sometimes doing absolutely nothing and dying. And that was hilarious. Uh, a more a more tangible joke that happened. Um, this was this was maybe a year and a half ago at this point, or maybe two. Jeez, uh, Kale Kale update. So her initial passive, one of the things was like once she hit level sixteen, she was just flying and she could like kind of just go over terrain. Mm -hmm. So we had a clip of us chasing a Kale who flew into the top left corner of the map, and. Uh, they're just like out of range of everyone. You know, you see Kane do it every once in a while, but Kale could go farther. And she was just she was way up there. And I remember one of the members on my team was like, wait a second, is it like Pac-Man? Can you just like keep going and pop out the other <laughs> side of the map? We're like, No. <laughs> what do you think? He's like, Oh, that'd be sweet. It's just I have countless like dumb interactions like that. It's just we see something messed up happening and it's hilarious. There is there is an instance where we had uh Yone in testing his snapback mechanic. Uh, I think currently it cancels Skarner ult, but at first he would he would use his uh, was it the E? He would step mm -hmm. forward, and then towards the end of the duration, I was playing Skarner. I ulted him. Then he snapped back, and then immediately snapped back again. And it just it was this big yo-yo, and it was hilarious. And then like, you know, we we troll around a little. So it was a shower of question mark pings. I'm sitting in like a semi. Or I'm sitting like in earshot of everyone, so I hear people laughing. It's just. It's hilarious. It's a great time. <laughs> I love I love hearing about like broken game interactions from yeah. development <laughs> and we um the thing that you mentioned about Kale flying over into the corner, sorry to bring StarCraft back up, but there's a, a form of laming in StarCraft where if the Terran player loses, he can lift his buildings up his, and just yep. float them over <laughs> to the corner. Yep. <laughs> yep. Oh, pretty boy. much got got to experience that. That's so funny. Oh, um, good times. Yeah, on a counterpoint to that, and, and this might not be the most fun question, but like, what are some of the hardest moments that you you've experienced working at Riot? So, part of part of my team's job is to tank frustration. Um, League of Legends is an emotional game. Uh, hopefully, you don't need me to tell you that. A lot of the content that we test is not fair. <laughs> uh, a lot of the content that ships in some ways isn't fair, but we we get exposed to kind of like cutting edge frustration, if you will. Um, one of the stories I like to tell is uh, what Pike was in development. Um, so imagine his W, that's the stealth thing, camouflage. Um, it used to be true stealth and have two charges. Oh boy. So he could true stealth, go in, do whatever he wanted, E aggressively, whatever, and then true stealth to safety. Um, I think we tested that version of Pike longer than we should have. I think back then our team wasn't wasn't as good at like verbalizing our frustration or saying why something is or is not meeting a quality bar or hitting goals or... You know, our team is a million times better at dealing with that type of conversation. But for a long time, um, we would have like multiple games a day of landing against and interacting with a roaming pike that would uh, no counterplay appear near you and then be 
very difficult to punish. If you didn't 100 to 0 him, he would just escape. He would press W and he was gone. That is, uh, that is up there in terms of frustration, I think, for sure. Mm -hmm. I remember um, way back in the day, old Twitch and old Evelyn had similar mechanics where it wasn't true stealth, but it was like you didn't have to be, if you were close to them, you couldn't see them. So it was uh, right. like stealth, whatever it was called back right. then. And like um, word some, but yeah, yeah, uh, there was really fun interactions with with champions like that, where you could, um, oh, way way back in there, you could build sunfires and you could just stack sunfires, <laughs> sort of reminiscent yep. of League of Legends right now. <laughs> yeah, you just build build sunfires and stand next to people, and the burn damage would just kill people because they. And back then, I I hate to say it, but back then, League of Legends <laughs> players, the average player was not like anywhere close to the level that they are today. So most people were just like, what the hell? Is going on? They're just freaking out, yep. um, flashing everywhere, and that's something I want to talk about that too. How much has the base skill of like a silver or a gold player gone up over the past ten years in league? Do you think? Uh, I don't even think you can like do it justice. You, so actually, let me take a step back. One of the most interesting things that I've learned in my time at Riot is. Uh, lower ranked players don't necessarily have bad mechanics. Their mechanics mm. are often fine. And it's just decision-making is vastly superior than it once was. Um, and there are a lot of things that play into decision-making being better now than it used to be. Uh, streaming is much more popular. Esports is a thing. You're much more likely to hear good players talk about the game and explain why you should or shouldn't do a certain action in any given moment. Mm -hmm. So I think the baseline of like understanding macro, understanding decision-making, knowing when you should or shouldn't go in, is just so much higher. So that and that's mechanics aside. Then you account for mechanics as well. Uh, if you look at like what a Lee Sin player can do now versus what a Lee Sin player can do when he came out, it's night and day. Um, quite honestly, it's just a different champion with with what the output is. Um, so the the quick answer to your question is uh, the the play has gotten a lot better. I'm going to make a bold and sweeping statement because nobody can stop me. <laughs> I think that a gold player or maybe, maybe, okay, let's be more generous. Maybe a platinum player today could probably be diamond or challenger in season one. And that's my, that's my bold sweeping statement that nobody can contradict because it's an impossible. Since it is test. unprovable one way or the other, I'm going to hard agree. <laughs> <laughs> there's no, there's no way that you can prove me wrong. So it has to be right. Exactly. Um, accounting. I'm sure. Okay. I don't know if you can account for, for game changes, too, because, of course, the game itself has changed so drastically over the years. Um, and that's what I like to tell myself. I'm, I've been stuck in, in high gold, low platinum for the past seven years. It's not that I've gotten, like, I haven't excelled in my skill level. It's that the game has gotten harder. So, in fact, I should mm. be proud to be at exactly. the level that I am instead of going down. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's interesting. It's interesting. I think... I don't think I could go back to season one and play at any sort of acceptable level though, just because of like how different the game is. Like yeah. it's just one, the map is was hideous back then. Oh Lord. <laughs> it was just a nightmare, a Lovecraftian horror. Um, and then two, it's just runes. Runes was fun. Um, a big change. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's every time every time somebody says something stupid like I wish they'd go back to the old rune system or I wish they could go back to the old summoner shift or whatever I'm just like you you 
you remember the good things you don't remember the one percent crit exactly GP confirmation that... bias <laughs> etc oh lord it was a mess um yeah and there was this weird thing where when people would hack your account in league they would go to the rune confinder and they would combine all your runes combine just to troll all the you. runes yeah yeah and and the support team was like we can't do anything sorry can't do anything Jeez. oh boy what a mess League of Legends is a much better game now. League of Legends, yeah. <laughs> it's easy to take for granted a lot of the, a lot of those things too. Um, some of the even just like visual clarity, right? Like mm-hmm. that's another thing that you easily take for granted. You it it is so much more understandable where damage sources are coming from. Like, and I I know this firsthand. One of the things my team actually does is we go through the visual hierarchy where we look at new champions and we say, all right, what are the most important you know, we have this 10-point scale of how important should each ability be in terms of its clarity. Because you can't just make everything the loudest, flashiest ability. That's uh, that's terrible. You don't want, you don't want a uh, like Corky's E to have the same visual noise as his ult or as his like his um package W. There's just different impact that requires different different level of visual clarity. Back then, that didn't really exist, and stuff just kind of was was it was what it was. Like, does that person have their ult up? Who knows? Can this person, you know, revive here? I really couldn't tell you. And did they just cast ignite? That's real tough to tell. And stuff like that. It's it's very different now, and I think that would be one of the hardest things to like retroactively go back to that you take for granted. Yeah. And champions were just really ugly back then too. Holy moly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. I I love that you brought up visual clarity and stuff like and and clarity in general because uh, I'm going to steal a story from Alex when I had him on the episode Wonderful. in case anyone who hasn't heard this. Um when Corky was first getting reworked with the package, I think he said he was in charge of choosing the sound effect for the original package and he um he brought it to somebody and he's like I want it to sound like a, an air raid or something like that. Um an air raid siren. And that's what they got. They got a perfect air raid siren. <laughs> and I think the first day that it went out, uh, he said he was reading Reddit and he saw a thread from a player in, in Israel or Palestine, uh, some Middle Eastern country, where he said, I love playing League of Legends. I play it every day. But right now, when Quirky picks up his package, I don't know if I need to evacuate or get into my bomb <laughs> shelter because the air raid siren goes home. And he, he just said he froze. And he's like, "Oh no, <laughs> I fucked up." <laughs> so he's like, I can "Picture him to... doing exactly that." <laughs> um, and I thought that was an amazing story because that's that's, that's good. I always use that as an example of of you can play test things forever or or whatever you want to call it, but until you actually get into the hands of 100 million players or whatever we're at these days, you're not going to get every single little problem with the game. And that's yep, why player exactly. feedback is is so important, even though it's for sure. Definitely always sometimes frustrating, I imagine. <laughs> yeah, no, that, but that's like that's a good point because this goes back to kind of some of the misconceptions. A lot of the time people expect perfection. Mm-hmm. Um one of the one of the QA like mantras is perfection is impossible. Um it's actually just it's an even if it is possible, it is not the correct target because the amount of effort to get that last ten percent is more expensive than the effort to get that first 90%. And the mm-hmm. there is a there is a fall off. So going back to the infinite resources things, you actually can't uh just throw infinite resources and get everything just right. So in in terms of generating coverage, 
it's important to know what's most important and make sure you can get that to the correct bar. Um, and then be adaptable moving or like be flexible moving forward so that when that last 10% does come in, you get the feedback, you can still pivot, but you don't need to necessarily get it perfect on the, on the first go. Yeah. And for a game like League of Legends and, and, and honestly, a lot of other live games, um, perfection really is just, isn't like you said, it's not the goal, not one, because a it's expensive and ridiculously resource intensive, but also it's just like a game of perfect imbalance is, is, a lot more feasible one at this scale mm-hmm. when you're dealing with with 150 champions and two it's more fun in the long run like if every champion had a, a perfectly 50 50 percent win rate it was it, it would it, it's just a mess and like one that's yep. impossible and two it's just like sometimes it's fun to play something that's stronger um mm-hmm. and i don't know i don't know if that's a a obviously this is not a, a viewpoint that's shared by everybody but um there's some good videos out there on why perfect imbalance is a better game state for a game like League of Legends than or MOBAs in general than perfect right. balance. For sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, even just talking about like perfect imbalance or not fifty fifty win rate, stuff like that uh makes me think that like there's this thing called resting win rate where what is the win rate of a champion where the player base is not like frustrated with it? So a champion like Onivia tends to, ha- or tanks in general, have a higher resting win rate. Where, um, you know, less true now. Ignore ignore current meta, but a tank like a Scion or an Amumu typically have a higher win rate than other champions. It's not because they're innately powerful. It's just what they do in game is conducive to like winning the game. Whereas a champion like Kha'Zix or LeBlanc or an Assassin, they're the opposite. Where uh, what they do can feel very unfair. They can kill you from fog. They can burst you instantly. Um, they can generate leads in like Rome, but that stuff is less likely to result in a victory. So an assassin's resting win rate tends to be like notably lower than a tank. Uh, and part of what makes the game feel there's a difference between the game being fair and the game feeling fair. Mm-hmm. So you can look at at Kha'Zix right now. Uh, his win rate is probably pretty close to 50%. Um, but when that champion wins, he does not feel fair, right? Uh, getting getting jumped on from Fog, dying, and then him going invisible and running away, that's a, that's a pretty bad feeling. So even if it is, like, air quotes, fair, <laughs> that's not necessarily what's right for the game. And, yeah. and keeping that perspective in mind is is actually very difficult. And I think uh, something else to mention um, is like it, it sort of feeds into what you were saying. For every really, really good Kha'Zix who can go and, and one-shot your whole team and jump away while living, there's like <laughs> nine terrible Kha'Zix who are going to jump in and get instantly Caitlyn trapped or yes. something like that. And that <laughs> is one of the main reasons why win rates is just like not a great uh, way to to do balance for a lot of different champions. Is that mm-hmm. one of the most frustrating things of dealing with community feedback is, is the uh, over-reliance of the community on win rates and, and stuff like that? Uh, yes and no. Yes, because that source of feedback can be frustrating. <laughs> no, because the feedback often looks slightly different where it's two people have polar opposite thoughts and each one of them is like so convinced they're right. Um, and when you get in that world, it's a lose-lose situation because there's no, there's, there's just no way to reconcile differing opinions, and they both 
are completely positive that they're right. Mm -hmm. uh, so actually, one of the recent, I guess it's not that recent, uh, dev blogs was about uh, the balance framework and when something would or wouldn't get buffed or nerfed. And I see people complaining about like, why is this champion getting nerfed or buffed? And I'll, I'll point to them and be like, well, this is exactly why. And then they'll say like, yeah, but that's stupid. And it's like, okay, do you think, do you think that, that we're buffing this champion is stupid? Or do you think the reason behind buffing the champion is stupid? Because those are two different things as well. Like if someone wants to argue whether or not the framework is correctly tuned, like I'm very open to that discussion. The answer is probably not, but it's something we can iterate on and tweak and fine tune and get, get better and better. But the important thing is people understand why it is receiving a change in the first place. Um, and that that's kind of the part that bothers me is when people don't don't kind of like follow the logic. Um, I'm this is kind of similar but kind of different. I was talking to someone the other day who was arguing that jungle is a worthless role. Um, he's a jungler. <laughs> I was like, okay, the data disagrees, right? Like the data I've seen suggests that it is not the case. So uh, the data I'm talking about is. In any game of league, if the biggest, if the biggest, the statistic that I'm referring to, if the biggest MMR gap is in the jungle role, so like let's say each team has is pretty closely match made, but there's inevitably going to be an MMR difference. If the biggest difference is in the jungle role, what is the likeliness that the team with the better jungler wins? Um, and my understanding is the order goes uh, mid jungle top support AD in that order. Uh, it, it varies slightly based on region and based on MMR and based on a, a bunch of other different things. But like that's the metric I am referring to when I say jungle is not the worst role. It's not useless. Uh, it has a lot of agency. And then the person I was discussing this with says like, well, I was watching Tarzan stream and he said something different. And I just kind of like, <laughs> you know, had to take him in and be like, okay. Oh, no. So few things. First of all, uh, what I am saying does not refer to that. And what he's saying does not refer to what I'm talking about. So it's like, what, what MMR are you talking about? And he's like, well, at the highest MMR, that's what matters. So that's what I'm saying. So like my, my role in my MMR, that's, that's what matters there too. It's like, but it doesn't. <laughs> it's like the, the logic is actually the opposite. It's either you're talking about high MMR, in which case, like I'll, I'll entertain the idea. I don't necessarily agree that jungle is the worst role in, in you know, top 10 challenger or whatever either, but I'll entertain the idea. But he's trying to take that and apply it to lower MMR, which is just, it's just like against the scientific method. Yeah. And that kind of bothered me. And you find, this is a bit of a tangent, but that kind of goes into some of the like, the logic discrepancies that people don't even realize they're making, or like these fallacies that people don't even realize they're making. and. Uh, that's to me is one of the most frustrating things. I don't know how to interact with people who uh, are immune to logic. When you don't logic yourself into a solution, you can't logic yourself out of a solution. And that's think, like, that's what gets me. <laughs> I think it's worse when they're not immune to logic, but they, they have logic that's flawed. And they're, yeah. they're, they're, they're quoting this flawed logic to you, and you're like, okay, well, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, but I think the main takeaway from what you just said there is that everyone who says like ADC diff 
doesn't know what they're talking about, right? <laughs> because Probably on the not. It's interesting because then when you go in pro play, ADC is one of the more important roles to have <laughs> uh, your best player in. But that's a that's a different conversation. <laughs> yeah, that that is an interesting conversation. I don't know if you have a lot of insight or if you even want to talk about it. But um, the differences between professional coordinated play and solo queue have to be like one of the craziest like differences, right? In terms of not just in terms of balance, just in terms of like what the game looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so we do have, so the balance framework that I was talking about earlier does fortunately go into this, um, into how we balance things. But one of the biggest misconceptions that I see when talking about pro is people often state um, data or statistics or whatever. And uh tell you right now there's not a big enough sample size on yeah. any given patch like it's not even close right to start being confident you want to get maybe about a thousand um that's when i'll start to like take a hard look at data you're lucky if you get a hundred uh in terms of like matchup or role or whatever so a lot of what we do is try and um balance around pro perception uh you know that goes into champion presence pick ban um, what type of stuff do they prioritize? What the general meta is, and um, it's it's extra interesting because my assumption is that a lot of pro play is actually pretty far off from being optimized. Um, and I've talked to I've talked to Jad about this because he is he's now on Team Liquid, or I guess I and he used to work on um you know Summer's Rift team, so I mm-hmm. I did get some opportunities to work closely with him. But a lot of a lot of what they need to do is not only like identify what they think is strongest, but get the reps in. So I forget who was saying, I think it was LS like way back, maybe two years ago with when Pantheon just got updated and he was hundred percent pick ban. Um, A lot of people weren't banning it because they thought it was the best. They just hadn't practiced it. And it was, it was less variance of a play to just ban it and not deal with it than it was to, kind of put in the effort and figure something out that might not even manifest meaningfully for them. So um, there's a bit of an inherent flaw in terms of going, of like balancing pro play around their perception when their perception isn't completely optimized. If we were to make zero changes to League of Legends for a year, um, there is a pretty good chance that there would be some level of of innovation for that entire year. Um, So it's just an interesting way to look at it that Balancing for pro is a very different game. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think looking at that, like just the hypothetical you just posed about not changing League of Legends for a whole year, I think that you're 100 percent right. Um, where the game would look completely different in terms of what what would be meta in one month in versus five months in or ten months in. Mm-hmm. Um, just because like the meta itself is is playing things that counter what's popular. So if, right. if something like uh, Kane or Atrax gets popular, then maybe you'll see more champions that are better at dealing with Kane and Atrax. And we see that on the two-week basis patch. Um, I'm sure you see it in terms of data, where where you'll see like spikes, and then once the spikes, there dips, and then spikes and dips. And um, for sure, and I, I don't know if I have insight to t- talk about that, but it seems like if you look at a game, and we're gonna bring, this is the StarCraft podcast, we're bringing it back to Brood War. Um, <laughs> that has not received balance changes in 10 years, 20 years, however long Brood War has been untouched, they're still developing metas and they're still yep. developing 
uh, changes to the game uh, from from the player perspective, not from the developer perspective. And I think that's amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, no, you know, this is an even better reference because I know you said you were watching The Queen's Gambit. A game like chess, which has been around for <laughs> thousands of years. Uh, Queen's Gambit's a good show, by the way. You should watch it. Yeah, it is it was very um, entertaining. <laughs> Plug. It's been around, it's been around for thousands. Yeah, Netflix, please sponsor me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, players are are constantly getting better and better and better. And and for a game like chess where the rules literally haven't changed in a meaningful, meaningful way for this long, you see all these new strategies and and uh defenses and and play styles get popular and more popular. And and it's not saying that they're better than they were 500 years ago, but it's just a different version of the game even though it's the same game. Mm-hmm. Uh, which yep. is interesting. And I don't know a lot about chess, so I hope that's more accurate than than Yeah. There's <laughs> definitely chess is Chess is a little different because, to some extent, there there are a finite number of moves. Mm-hmm. Um, if like if you don't go over fifty moves or something, like it's a really big number, but it is still finite. Uh, in league, it is orders of magnitude larger. Um, it's the complexity of interaction. Mm-hmm. So, the fact that it can happen in something that is much more finite uh, should be proof that it not only can but will happen uh, in something more complex. I would bet that there's more chances for for a difference in in a game like League of Legends in the champion select than there is in chess throughout an entire 15 minute <laughs> game. And I know that's that's a that's a very brave thing to say, but in terms of one, in terms of all the champions that can be picked, two, in terms of all mm-hmm. the runes and stuff that can be picked, and then summoners, and then role positions, and then something yeah. like that. I think, and I, I'm gonna completely make that blanket sweeping statement without any research whatsoever but i think that's that's accurate Ooh. Um, this one is probably disprovable so i'm not going to blindly agree <laughs> but i understand what you're going for <laughs> if there's anybody in in the audience who is dedicated <laughs> enough to disprove that i will happily be proven wrong because that would be amazing <laughs> yeah um yeah i don't know it's interesting the only thing that i have written down other than other than what we talked about so far is uh if you can buff a champion, so can you buff? Uh, can you buff Jax for me? Uh, I can advocate for it, but <laughs> I wouldn't. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna talk a little bit about like what it means to be on the team. Um, our strength is identifying optimal play patterns and like informing whether or not something is hitting goals. Uh, it is intentional that we don't go into deciding whether or not goals. Uh, should be set um that is much closer aligned to like uh design the design craft than it is the qa craft or what my team does um i know what i find fun i have you know i don't want to say no confidence but lower confidence that what i find fun translates to what other people will find fun and uh you know the other way around stuff that i find frustrating isn't necessarily Fresh isn't necessarily indicative. So, in terms of creating like a holistic experience, I wouldn't suggest we should do this because I think this is better. I might say, "Hey, here's a problem I've identified," and then they're like, "Cool, I've got some solutions in mind that I want to do this." And then I can look at those solutions and be like, "Yeah, it does that." So, what I can do is look for problems with Jax. If I find any problems with Jax, uh, I can bring those up and. You know, if I do a good enough job at identifying the problems and stating my case, there's a chance that those get looked at and, uh, you know, iterated on. But 
then you're tasked with finding a problem with Jax, who right now is not the biggest outlier in League of Legends, so it is unlikely he'll get a buff in the short term. You know what? I, <laughs> can, give you, I can give you two really big problems with Jax right now. One, I'm not winning enough with him. And two, <laughs> I can't jungle as well with him. So those true, are just two true. things to bring to the to higher ups. Gotcha. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I love talking about this. Why don't we talk a bit more? I don't have it written down, but why don't we talk a bit more about the preseason itself? Because I'd love to hear your perspective on like what's been happening with, with items and stuff. Sure. Uh, so I'm going to keep this super broad. Uh, I am very happy with how it landed. I think you've looked at some of the work we've done in the past and where it landed. Um, like The biggest outliers are really like Amumu Kale and I guess Cassidy in the other direction. Uh, tank itemization is probably still too strong, but in terms of like raw win rates of champions and how the game pl is playing and feels, uh, I'm honestly very happy. I've done a lot of follow-up in terms of looking at like purchase rates of different mythic items, uh, win rates of those items, win rates of you know legendary rushes versus mythics versus different item combinations versus different matchups versus a million other things because that is how complex League is, and I'm interested in analyzing how accurate our our stuff was um my team is doing more of this than i am at this point but you know i i still have visibility into it and uh a lot of it is hitting the goals so the choice structure for which mythics people are buying is pretty good um there are few champions who are like hard bound to know you always buy this one um and if that is the case it's probably because it's overtuned. so once everything is properly tuned the win rate differentials between choices is still like um, comparable. Uh, a lot of that choice structure is still still goes into play. We're seeing more options for uh, full builds. It's it's less like, hey, every game I do this, and more, hey, every game I need to think about these things and then buy an item accordingly. We're seeing more of that. Um, yeah, I I am like I am very happy with how it all landed. I think there is still like, don't get me wrong, there's still work to do. Um, tanks are again still too strong. Uh, this most recent recent patch that shipped yesterday uh, meaningfully removed systemic damage from the system, which I think was very necessary. So you'll see less of those, like you'll see fewer of those uh, one shot you died to like Lich Bane or just burned to death from <laughs> a single spell, Leandri's demonic embrace type thing. So that's reduced. So I think that's beneficial to players. Um, you know, Eclipse. I don't think the most recent nerf on Eclipse is going to do quite enough, but these are all small tuning changes. And like going into this, that's that's a very good spot to be for. It's been live for two weeks. Yeah. So you're fairly confident that you're at a level where you can identify the things that are wrong and fix them fairly easily. Yes. Okay. Yes. That's that's good to know. Uh, how it's long like the... ago? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. As the underlying, so like this goes back into we weren't going for perfection on ship. We were going for like here are some overarching goals. One of the goals was choice structure of mythic items. We wanted them to be uh, that that was the first thing I was talking about, and that that's pretty meaningfully hit on a lot of champions. Um, so the overarching goals are pretty heavily met in a lot of ways. Um, or at least that's my initial impression. We're going to dig into it more as things start to settle, mm -hmm. but uh, the balance is the easy part. Yeah, definitely. And this is something that how long ago does did this like work get started where you identified hey like the item system needs to be changed. This is what we want to do. 
Do you know? Do you have a early twenty twenty? Early twenty twenty. Yep. Okay. Uh, I it's pretty much so like for visibility. I think this preseason will have more follow up than we will for than we have in the past for obvious reasons. It was a much bigger patch. But once we're done with the quick follow up, we're gonna start start work on a twenty twenty one or twenty twenty two preseason. Wow. Um, that's that's how it goes. So they'll start early ideation. They'll get some, you know, early th- early items in. We'll eventually start to test. We might just do some static analysis where we just look at it and like give our thoughts based on that because that's something else we can do. Um, but for for the most recent patch, that is something that has been in the works for um, about a year. That's incredible. Yes, so, closer to nine so... months. But yeah, it's it's about that magnitude. What's it like working on on something that is like so different from regular League of Legends that you're used to playing, and then trying to go back and like playing regular League of Legends? <laughs> That's actually one of the hardest things about the job. Is uh, any given day, I have no idea what content is where. <laughs> um, after after seven years, I'm playing pretty much in like three worlds. I'm playing in the live environment. I'm playing in next patch, and I'm playing deep in the future. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, changes will go into one, and it isn't always clear to me when something is live and when something's not. So, like, uh, I forgot that Rel hit PVE. Or did she? I think she did. Either way, new champion <laughs> is coming out soon. Uh, that's just been, like, a part of a portion of my life for a while, and I just, it doesn't even, like, it is very difficult to go between the two. So that's also partly why I was so excited for preseason to ship, because... Um, for a while now, we've had all of our play tests move over to, um, you know, the preseason layer with the new item systems. So, like, we did very little Seraphine testing with old systems because we knew it was only going to be there for a patch, mm-hmm. uh, patch or two or whatever. Uh, so it is good to at least consolidate like that big portion of my mental energy. <laughs> it's all going through. It's like, okay, this is what the shop's going to look like. These are the, what the items do. Like, I can put the rest of that. I don't need to keep track of two different. In- like versions of league of legends to that extent anymore that's funny that reminds me of i I get into this workflow process where throughout the week i'll just be acquiring more and more pins tabs on my browser and they'll just get filled up more and more and more and then when (laughs) i finish up the week i'm like okay close that one close that one close that one close that one it's sort of like a very small scale version of what you were just talking about yeah (laughs) for sure um for sure that's funny what is uh what is some of like the more standout moments in the preseason development that that come to your mind where you're like wow this was crazy oh some of the more so there are some obvious like tuning changes that just like were not right for so long uh countless one-shot scenarios (laughs) countless like hey this didn't do what i want hey my champion broke hey this character doesn't work with this item the way it should um some of the more interesting items we've tested uh, so similar to the way Yone's E worked, there there's an item where uh, I think it was on Bilgewater map, whatever that that ARAM map was, where it's like it leaves an X where you were and then returns you to that point after some amount of time. For a bit, we had that on an item. Um, the Prowler's Claw active used to be a blink instead of a dash, so you could do things like E as Pike and then before the stun lands, you could blink instantly behind someone, like, as the stun's landing. It would pretty much hit confirm your stun. Uh, there are just a lot of, like, unsustainable patterns that happened. Uh, it's also interesting to think of, like, people realize, like, why didn't you catch these things in these items sooner? It's like, well, the first items that were fully implemented were 
mage items, like mana mage items. Then it was tank items. Uh, fighter and assassin items didn't really get implemented holistically until you know a few months out, where we could we could focus on them so we could iterate much faster. But it's very different to understand how the tank system is working when the rest of the system doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, kind of the analogy that's often used at Riot is um, building the plane while it's in flight or something along those lines. And that's, that's often what it feels like is we're trying, to, we're trying to get this thing up and running and make it good, but we have to start it before it's really ready. And it's kind of just, you're trying, to, you're trying to work on something with a lot of moving pieces before any of the pieces have like solidified where they are. Um, yeah. <laughs> to use to use a chess analogy, it would be something like testing the balance of like the the rook when the castle is missing, or something like that. <laughs> yeah, something like pretty much, pretty much. It's like how um, do you know? How do you know how good? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you think it like in in the beautiful aspect of hindsight? Do you think it was would be easier to make massive item changes to certain classes? individually or do you think it was just a better solution an easier solution to just do everything at once because i know uh, in the past so... we've had we've had major updates to specific classes of items like lethality items yep. and major items and stuff so there are a few ways to look at this i'm going to give you the long-winded answer uh in a lot of in a lot of ways it would be easier uh, mm -hmm. it's more understanding what this will do to the system you have time to acclimate to this new portion of the system um, so from that side of things, yes. In terms of player disruption and like other psychological issues, it's an emphatic no. I think in preseason, there is much more leniency for not getting it perfect, which with a project this big or honestly doing an item update in general um, is important. One of the pieces of data that we like adapted to a few years ago was we don't really do mid-season updates anymore. Um, those tended to cause a lot of player fatigue in terms of like, oh, the game is changing pretty meaningfully again. And uh, it was too much. Um, for the majority of the player base, uh, people were happier to see a larger once a year change than they were to see multiple small changes. Um, there, was, there was a joke in the past where like Summoner's Rift team would do a big patch, small patch, where every other patch they would do a, a slightly bigger bigger change uh that was pretty rough that just ended up what it ended up being was big patch bigger patch um <laughs> which you know that's a different issue but uh it's an inter an interesting way to think about it is it just felt like there was too much going on all the time and nothing had a chance to stable players didn't have a chance to like understand what worked for them constantly had to relearn different mechanics and uh so yeah i think doing it all at once innately has uh, some non-trivial benefits that you don't immediately think of. Yeah. And talking more about like sort of like the big patch, bigger patch cycle, <laughs> how, does, how does your team or how does the team in general uh, decide like what governs pushing something one specific patch versus waiting a month or, or for the next patch? Because I know I've seen um, some people were like, oh, we're, we were looking at this, but then we decided to push it back this patch mm -hmm. to 10.25 or something like that. Right. Uh, so a lot of that will depend on a bunch of factors. Some of the factors are scope of the work, risk to players, um, 
you know, what resources are needed? Does it have a tech requirement? Does it have an art requirement? Because that's additional resources that you need to pile on. Uh, what is the confidence in the current iteration? Um, we're much more likely to push something with low confidence during preseason than we are during like, you know, a few patches before Worlds. Um, so there, there are a bunch of factors at play, and some of the like the medium scoped champion tweaks, I'll say, uh, tend to fall some anywhere along that line, where our confidence in the effectiveness can wide, wildly change uh, champion to champion. Um, the resources we have available to put on them, like how much can we realistically change the kit in such a way that isn't art impacting, um, that has a pretty big impact on the uh the scope of changes and then like how big of a problem is it risky is it is it really so it's kind of we're kind of looking at the risk versus reward um so yeah like pantheon talia uh i think talia's on that list at least uh tom kench has been thrown around a bit uh brand recently got put in those are things that we kind of my team um we prioritize separately and uh, if we can get coverage on them, great. They don't have like a hard ship date, so uh, we kind of test them opportunistically. And uh, if they're hitting the goals, if it if the timing is right, we'll ship it. If not, um, sometimes it's easier to push it back, or it's less of a risk to push it back, or something along those lines. That's some really great insight into that that process. Yeah. Um, and there, you know, there there are many more factors too, but that's yeah, like yeah. that's the surface level of it. I think I think that's like something that needs to be said in terms of a lot of things that people talk about is like we're we're sort of just scratching yeah. the surface on what's happening here. Um, For sure, so don't take everything as gospel. <laughs> um, obviously. Uh, okay. Do you want to talk about anything else in terms of League of Legends stuff, or do you want to move on to more just like talking? <laughs> um, I'm ready to just move on to more talking. All as right. much as I love talking about League, <laughs> I do love talking about League too. Oh, here's a question. How much do you miss, uh, like, the Bilgewater Ruin noms? Oh, God. So much. <laughs> so much. Yeah. Uh, working from home is challenging, to say the least. Uh, it affects different people differently. Uh, but sometimes in the afternoon, I just find myself, like, losing steam, and the caffeine isn't as readily accessible <laughs> that that's its own that's its own unique pain point but in the grand scheme of things um i'm very happy so yeah uh, i'm it's not it's not such a loss to me <laughs> <laughs> it's a weird it's a weird situation um so my my work was i moved to los angeles in late 2019 for a job and mm -hmm. when i got there we were in the office and i was in the office for about 3 or 4 months and then all of a sudden, things happened, and every office in LA closed down basically. So I was working from home in a in a apartment in Los Angeles, and I'm like, well, this isn't really what I was expecting because I just moved out there. <laughs> um, yeah. And our office was really nice. It was it was a it's a small company, about 200 people. Um, so, but it was a really nice nice like LA tech startup uh, office, which I had never experienced before because I'm from the East Coast, and things out here right. is like you got the tobacco barns and uh, stuff like that <laughs> maybe if you're lucky you get you get cubicles um but yeah i was i was really excited for it. and then when things happened i was working from home and i'm like i had to make the decision do i want to stay in los angeles um where there's more opportunities but 
the cost of living is ridiculous and I'm not really getting any benefits or do I want to move back to the East coast? And I, I eventually I'm just like, okay, I'll move back. So I'm, I'm in Raleigh right now, which I'm pretty happy with. It's a nice city, but, um, what, yeah, uh, working from what home, state? uh, North Carolina, it's the capital. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. Oh. and I think it's, um, I think Raleigh is going to be a tech destination in the next 15 years because nice. we've already got a lot of different, um stuff i'm i'm not well versed enough enough to talk about that so i'll just leave it at that but, <laughs> um but yeah working from home it is is definitely it's different we've talked i've talked about it a lot on the show but learning to have that self-discipline where you're like okay i need mm-hmm. to get stuff done That's and the part. i have all this like i'm sitting in my chair and my couch is right there and my fridge <laughs> is right there and my bed is back there <laughs> How do I how do I do this? Uh, it's difficult. Yeah. Um, but big shout out to everyone who's made it work and kept making amazing things over the past eight months. And fingers crossed we get through it and things are wrapping up. But who knows? Yeah. Um, shoot. What was I talking about? Oh, yeah. Let's talk about random games and text news because I love that. Excellent. <laughs> um, did you, have you played much of the Assassin's Creed, Assassin's Creed series? Uh, very little. Very so not much in that one. Yeah, I played one, two, and then I skipped everything until like Black Flag, and then I skipped everything until um, Odyssey. And I really, really enjoyed Assassin's Creed Odyssey. I thought it was a great game, um, and it was one of the biggest Assassin's Creed games ever because everything is the biggest right. ever. Um, but Ubisoft just announced that Assassin's Creed Valhalla, which is the newest Assassin's Creed game, is the next biggest launch in Assassin's Creed history. <laughs> um, and I don't know. It, it's I haven't. I felt like I haven't seen as much hype about this game as the previous games. But I, I think I know why it may be the biggest Assassin's Creed game ever. And it's a bit of a conspiracy theory. Um, one, it hit a launch title for a new console, which was a big deal for some people. Um, and it really is like one of the only next gen launches we've seen on the Xbox. Mm-hmm. Series X or whatever it's called, and the PlayStation <laughs> Five, um, like because Cyberpunk Cyberpunk got delayed to right a couple weeks from now, um, so when people are buying PlayStation Fives or whatever, they're like, "What am I going to play?" I mean, you got Assassin's Creed. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not. I'm. I hope I'm not ragging on console too much. Uh, I'm not much of a console gamer myself, but yeah. I go I go back and forth. I think my problem with Assassin's Creed is uh the gameplay wasn't sticky enough for me to like want to keep doing a bunch of what I felt was very similar missions. Mm-hmm. Um and then subsequent versions of it didn't meaningfully like renew the gameplay or reinvigorate the gameplay. So a lot of it ended up feeling too similar and just more of the same in a, in something that I already wasn't like super attached to. Um but I am interested in in uh, catching a PS5. I I I'm late to the party of Cyberpunk of like looking forward to that game. Mm-hmm. But I I do know it's going to be a game I will eventually get and I will most likely enjoy. Um, I have this problem where like I can't go halfway on games. Where when I play a game, I I go very deep, very hard. Um, but that means I don't get to play too many games. So you know that's why I've been playing League for ten years, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that's my going deep cost fallacy. <laughs> but yeah, with uh with single player games, I have still done some, but overall, like I I play fewer games harder 
then I do play more games in a shallow way. Did you get into the Witcher series at all? Uh, I started playing Witcher 3, and the main reason why is because... So, not 1 and 2. The main reason why is because it has a similar enough paradigm to the Dark Souls series, and I absolutely love the Dark Souls series. Did you did you play all the way through? Like when you said you got into it, did you play it or not quite yet? It's still it's still in my backlog. I've been playing mm-hmm. it, but uh, league's been fun for me recently. <laughs> I also got sidetracked with Hades, but you know Hades. <laughs> I want to talk about that. We Hades can talk about that later uh, in, yeah. the, in the game of the year section. But um, no, I'm the same way. I I get into games, but for Witcher, I try to get into Witcher, and every year I try to get into Witcher, and I play through, and I want to play from the beginning because I'm like. I don't remember everything. Um, and every yep. year I sort of get to the section and anyone in the Witcher probably knows exactly what I'm talking about. Um, it's the section where you go into the swamp and there's the three witches and the three witches are like, kill this magical tree for us and we'll grant you these children or something like that. Um, and then I just stop playing. I don't know why. It just falls off. <laughs> I got past <laughs> that part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love the game. It's beautiful. It, it the system, the game systems are fun. The gameplay is fun. The monsters are neat, but it's just it doesn't draw me in to level like something more tightly focused like yeah. Hades or something does. For but sure. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I did enjoy Assassin's Creed Odyssey quite a bit, and I think it was less to do with the gameplay because I definitely agree with you. It, it was not like the tightest, and it was definitely a little repetitive. But I think the mm-hmm. setting was like a big deal for me because I I really like um I don't it's not really tropical but that sort of Mediterranean atmosphere it really mm-hmm. caught a lot of attention for me so that was cool. Yeah, that's like that's a difficult for me to relate to portion of games. I tend to like hyper focus on the gameplay. Stuff could mm-hmm. be eight bit and I'm still I'll still play it. Uh, I don't really care as much for graphics. But then every once in a while, I'll find a game that like I get truly enveloped in, and I just can't help but think that's what a lot of people experience in games that they play. Then I just take for granted. <laughs> it's like, like, yeah, oh, it looks man, pretty. What do you want from me? Like, how's the gameplay? <laughs> yeah. So that's funny. That, that's like, yeah, it's it's cool that some games can have their scenery or whatever their environment in such a way where it is, it is like, it does really capture your attention. That reminds me a lot of um, a game that had terrible, well, not terrible graphics, but not great graphics, uh, but really captured a lot of people's attention was the Dota Auto Chess mod, where people came <laughs> yep. in and were like, like, I never played Dota before, or I played a bit, but I was not like much of a Dota player. And I was just enthralled mm-hmm. by this little weird brand new mod. <laughs> uh, and I think a lot of people yeah. were, obviously, because uh, it sort of sparked a, a mini new genre coming out. But I'm like, For man, sure. this is great. I love it. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I I definitely get where you're coming from in terms of where it's like gameplay makes a big deal, and then sometimes you're like, oh wow, this these these environments are make or break for me. Um. Mm-hmm. Uh, something else I've written down here was I've been following the story for a while. It's Apple is in this weird lawsuit with Epic Games and Google, where. Epic Games is like, hey, you should take less money from your in-app purchases than you are. Um, and Apple's like, no, obviously, because I want millions and billions of dollars. Um, but recently, an app- Apple basically just, they, they spit in Epic's face, and they said, we're going to lower the cut for everybody if they make less than a million dollars a year 
on the app store. Um, and that's just like, basically like everybody, 99.9% of devs, I think it was get this lower percentage. So they get more money except for you, Epic. <laughs> and I thought that was hilarious. That's good. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't have a lot of insight or, or much to say about that, but I just yeah. thought that was I, I unfortunately don't either, but uh, <laughs> that's definitely entertaining to follow. <laughs> yeah, it's like corporate corporate drama. <laughs> right, right. Um, have you ever played the, the Hitman series at all? Mm-mm. Never? Mm. Not, me missed, not either. I've missed on too many of these. Yeah. Uh, I always... I always IO Interactive, uh, they make the Hitman series, uh, apparently is now working on a licensed James Bond game. So that'll be really mm-hmm. interesting. I'm sure fans of both genres are very excited for that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. This is something I think we can talk a lot about. The 2020 sure. Game of the Year nomination award. So there's a lot of great games on here. And I was really surprised to see Hades on this list. Uh, real quick, I'll go over the list. Uh, Animal Crossing New Horizon. Uh, Doom Eternal. Final Fantasy VII Remake, uh, Ghost of Tsushima, Hades, and then The Last of Us Part Two. And I almost forgot that Doom came out this year mm-hmm. because that was, like, in the before times. But, um, yeah, I w- were you surprised to see Hades on this list? Uh, I will say pleasantly surprised. I think Hades is kind of the one that seems like it, it got... It, it's like, which of these is not like the other in terms mm-hmm. of resources? And it's like, yep, found it. It's that one. Yeah. Uh, but going through it, the gameplay is just, it's there. I think, mm-hmm. I think that game is just a, a massive success, especially if you consider the resources that the devs had. Um, so out of this list, I've played Animal Crossing, Hades, and Last of Us Part Two. Uh, so I can't speak towards all of them, but I do know that for Hades was like an incredibly small dev team. And, uh, that game's amazing. The depth is phenomenal the replayability is for sure there uh it's exciting i think the plot's actually like much better than i i would expect yeah <laughs> the game the gameplay feels great and uh the art it has a unique art style that that works with the game i love i love hades i've played over a hundred uh yep runs whatever you want to call them uh, and i i can confidently say that hades is probably the pinnacle of the rogue-like genre and i know that's a weird genre to to try and pin down (laughs) because it's very very different you'll have games like Mm -hmm. ftl which is in the same genre as hades somehow yeah but um somehow it feels like sort of what like what hollow knight did to the metroidvania genre where it it has just done so much with so little resources hollow knight was a game that was like three developers i think um and it was one of the best Metroidvania games ever. Uh, mm-hmm. At least most people think so. Yeah. So I, I really love to see stories where where you don't have to have the the massive backing of resources that Naughty Dog does with Last mm-hmm. of Us Two to make a great game, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, for sure. And for this list, I've only ever played Doom and uh, Hades. I didn't I didn't play Animal Crossing, Final Fantasy, Ghosts, or Last of Us. Um, but what would you put as your game of the year uh, out of the games that you've played, the three? Uh, I would say Hades, hands down. I think um, I would too. Yeah. Animal Crossing, I think. So I, again, out of the three I've played, Animal Crossing was nice for what it was, but like, it's like, yeah, that was, that was, you know, a couple weeks of entertainment and then without too much engagement during those weeks. 
from there it just kind of fell off for me like that's not that's not my type of game i don't think there's enough depth enough depth um last of us part two i'm a little biased uh my wife actually worked on that game um she works she works at riot now but uh i heard lots of stories of kind of how the process for it went and more explicitly like it is so much more a story-driven game than it is the way I look at it, like a gameplay-driven game. Um, the gameplay was fun. I enjoyed I enjoyed parts of it for sure, but it is very clear that the emphasis the emphasis is on the story, and yeah. um, that's just not my focus in games, right? Like I care I care so much more about the gameplay than the immersion. Um, so yeah, out of those ones, it it is hands down not even close. Hades for me. It's it's close it's close between uh, for me between Doom and Hades. Uh, I love Doom Eternal. It's a great sequel to the Doom twenty sixteen. Um, mm-hmm. But Hades, I mean, one there's recency bias at play where I've played a lot <laughs> yeah. more recently. Um, sure. But two, I just think it was it was I love the story of was doing more with less, and I love mm-hmm. the fact that it was something that was sort of fresh. Like it wasn't an FPS. It was it was a roguelike, um, which I don't right. have a ton of experience with. So. That was fun. Um, it is weird. Is it weird to you that there's games like you can consider Animal Crossing, New Horizon, and like it's apples and Hades oranges. on the? Yeah, it, it is weird to have yeah. it in the same category. It's like it, if it, if this were at work and they're like, all right, determine the best. It's like, all right, define best for me because <laughs> this is this is not like game of the year. What does that even mean? Right? How do you even measure this? This is just like a the individual is going to interpret that differently and then based on their interpretation is going to give a different answer. So it's kind of whatever to me, but yeah, uh, yeah. It's, yeah it's that's, weird... that's just my, yeah. Games awards had, had the opportunity to be like so much better than like traditional movie awards and stuff like that. But I feel like they were so mm-hmm. obsessed with, with trying to follow the mold of just being like, Oh, yep. we're, we're like movie awards um, that they sort of missed the mark. Cause I don't know. The experience that you get when you're playing Animal Crossing and the experience that you get when you're playing Doom Eternal is just like the opposite sides of the spectrum. It really is. Um, <laughs> it's like, how do, how do I don't even know. I remember, this is like a stupid story. I remember in like middle school, I had some dumb project where we made these like cars that you put a cap thing in and it would shoot off, whatever. <laughs> and then even they got that right where they, there's a category for fastest there's a category for like best built and then there's a category for like most creative ones like how do you how do you compare an ice cream chuck to like a race car that is flawlessly executed you don't and they did it and they got that right in my middle school but they can't get that right here so i don't know <laughs> i love that i love that comparison it, it reminds me of um oh shoot it might be red bull red bull does this thing i think it's red bull uh it's called like wacky races or something like that where they'll it's sort of like a derby where they'll they'll have these people design all these ridiculous vehicles that go down this hill like this crazy obstacle course and they grade them on like performance and then creativity and then like uh uh there was one other factor but i don't remember what it is and people come up with like the the most ridiculous ones like uh there was a group of firefighters who like had a little fire truck and they were like Going yep. down the <laughs> and there's like one with a giant hypodermic needle with a giant foam point. How do you even compare that if you're just going for something that's like functionally no, this is faster? It's like you, yeah, you actually yeah. And, don't. <laughs> and whenever you saw the ones where it's like it's like it's got the sleek uh aerodynamic hood and like the guy's like laying down like this in it, 
<laughs> he's yeah. getting he's going like 35 miles an hour on this gravity powered car and you're like wow you went really fast but i still enjoyed watching the right, the right. funny <laughs> fire truck go down fast <laughs> or slower exactly um that's funny and then the last thing i have written down here is this is a hot button topic right now so cyberpunk 2077 will have a streamer friendly option that won't play uh copyrighted music in it so you can stream it and not be afraid of dmca takedowns um and this is like a weird sort of finally culmination of what's been going on recently. I'll, I'll refresh everyone's memory in case they're not super familiar with what's been going on. Um, recently, Twitch has been hit with a lot of DMC take DMCA takeouts uh, to prominent streamers who have been in the past playing copyrighted music on their stream, whether in the background or whatever part of their stream. And this has sort of been a thing that has been happening on other platforms forever. Like you can never really get away with this on YouTube. Like YouTube has already had this system in place, but for some reason, everyone sort of just like turned a blind eye to it on Twitch until now. And now people are kind of freaking out because they're like, everything's changing. Um, these years and years of content that I've amassed are now at risk and I'm somehow responsible for what's been happening. So it's, it's weird. And I love seeing that, a game developer can come in and be like, okay, well, we're going to do this solution to this problem. Um, it's obviously not an ideal solution, but I mean, hey, it works. So at least people can stream our game. And I'm sure somebody at that company was like working really fast to get this out <laughs> so they could for sure. they could get it ready for launch. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. It's a yeah, lot of different... I have... I have some mixed thoughts. on this. So first, I, I think that's great that they're doing that. Like that's something that's super important or mm -hmm. it certainly it makes the game easier to share with others if if your favorite personalities are streaming a game you're interested in like that's that's just entertainment value that you're gonna get um so there's clear value there i think it depends how much effort it really was for them to do because i have no idea uh what really went into that how what's the what's the lifetime of cyberpunk supposed to look like and like I don't know, six months from now, are people still going to be readily streaming it? And is that something that's going to be interested? If so, it's like, well, it probably makes sense to put more effort into getting this thing done. If not, then like maybe this effort isn't worth it. And the important thing that I want to touch on, uh, because this one kind of hits hits home with me, is uh, what it means to crunch. So <laughs> Cyberpunk has been delayed a few times. Um, it... <laughs> It has uh, undoubtedly had people working late hours, and you you put you mix that with uh, you know the work from home scenario, and it is no surprise to me that the game got delayed. Um, the concern I have is for what crunch looks like. I think in the video game industry in general, uh, crunch is not only accepted but almost like. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's almost looked positively upon. It's like, yeah, I'm this hero who came in, worked these 14-hour days for six months straight, and I got this thing done. Uh, that is a terrible precedent to set for what developing a game should be. So whenever a developer delays a release, I try and look at it from their point of view. They're not delaying it because they want to get perfect or they want to... to um, whatever. They're not delaying it for to, to spite individuals. They're delaying it because... To get it to ship to the quality they want, they need more time. And I would actually rather 
them delay it more and work reasonable hours so that it's more maintainable long term than rush it, have it lower quality and get it into people's hands a few months sooner. Yeah. So I try and be cognizant of that. So tying it back to the streaming DMCA point, uh, I have no, again, I have no idea how much effort went into it. Hopefully not too much. Hopefully it was something that they could just kind of make happen. Um, but that's, that's something that might not come to mind that uh, I would like to think about. Yeah, no, I, I love that point. And I actually want to take that to a different place because uh, I know people who have worked at a lot of different um, places in their life. And it, like what you say about the, the crunch not being, not being frowned upon, almost being thought of like, like as a good thing. Uh, I have had friends who've worked uh, at like a Rooster Teeth studio um, on de- different projects over there. And the way that they're uh, reportedly their culture like looks at crunch is like it was it was such a expected thing from the early days in the, in the company yep. that you'll have people who are in power now, you know, like in the higher up in the company who will look down on people who are like coming in because they don't want to do like they're like, well, I had to do mm-hmm. these 16 hour days 10 years ago when we were first starting up. Um, that's just how this company works. That's how we do things. Um, and it's just, it's brutal because like one, it's not sustainable. You're going to lose yep. talent. You're going to lose good people Two, It's unhealthy for your, for your people. It's just like no other in, well, I don't want to say this cause I have no idea, but, <laughs> um, it feels like there's no other industry that gets to this same level of fanaticism about crunch where it's like, mm-hmm. it's like, we're going to do this and it's going to be done in three weeks and we're going to work 18 hour days to get it done. And I'm going to stay overnight to, we're going to all sleep. it. like, I remember hearing a story where it's like, we set up cots in the, uh, in the yeah. annex to, so we could sleep and do shifts. And I'm like, Oh, it's, that's nice. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you, that was fun, but I don't know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I had to do, I had to do pretty heavy crunch at irrational and like, I don't know. I, <laughs> If I were to say some to someone like, well, I had to do it, so you should too, that is just BS, right? I I refuse to have that mentality. Um, so, you know, it's it's the type of thing that I'm mindful of. I don't ask of people. Uh, I do my best to plan around it. Like sometimes overtime is understandable and acceptable. Um, we're not like saying no overtime ever, period type of thing, but... Um, there's definitely a healthy way to do it and a way that is right, as opposed to, hey, I had to do it, so you have to do it. Um, and it'll be, a, it'll be a slow process, but, you know, 10 years from now, I, I hope that can be the trend or the expectations that you don't need to. Yeah, I think, I think hopefully we're getting to a, a, a point in the industry, and it's still a very young industry, um, yep. to where that's not acceptable. And it's not, it's not even that it's not, encouraged it's like it shouldn't be the norm at all um right so yeah I, I'm, I'm hopeful hopefully uh did you have anything else you wanted to cover before we wrapped up uh i think we have hit the majority of the stuff that was on my mind if awesome. not all of well thank you again for coming on the show i really appreciate it. i think we hit a lot of great topics and i really appreciate your insight into everything that we went over and the ability to i, I say this a lot the show is nothing if it's not its best tangents so i really enjoy <laughs> going off on great tangents it really helps out with Excellent. Uh, just keeping the flow awesome so you did an awesome job with that a plus oh thank you um, thank you for having me uh, <laughs> i do enjoy this type of stuff so maybe yeah, sometime in the future when you when you finish your cycle of 
other people you can we can talk again but I, i'd love to uh, yeah thank Every you very much i say this all the time i'm like i'll have you on the show again and it's just it's so hard to because <laughs> people's schedules are so hard to line up but yeah i 100 percent right. would love to have you on the show again uh if you don't know who adam is check out his twitter it's right down there on the stream or on the screen if you're listening it's Excellent. at right afic a-f-i-c um check out him on twitter and i know he streams on twitch as well i try to catch his streams every now and then uh, usually in the later evening for us yeah, EST people. West Coast after work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he does some yeah. fun game stuff. So if you like League of Legends and you like watching people who are good at League of Legends play the game, maybe check him out. Good. Uh, <laughs> I have I have different standards, but you know, different, better than average by a notable amount. But much still. better. Than <laughs> um, and hey, if you like Dev Dive and you want to catch us live, check out the Twitch stream, Twitch.tv/slash/nihok20000. We try to stream every week uh, if we can get a guest and we can get schedules lined up. Uh, usually I tweet out who's going to be on and what time we'll be doing it and what day we'll be doing it. So follow me on Twitter at Ben DePiro, or you can join the Discord, discord.gg slash Nighthawk to catch up with Dev Dive News and I'll keep you guys updated on that. And if you can't watch live, you can always watch the VODs on youtube.com slash Nighthawk 20,000. And if you can't watch it, you can always listen on Google Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, and more. Uh, check those out leave a rating leave a comment or whatever you want it helps out the show helps out with discoverability so we really appreciate that and uh, as always we really appreciate anyone who watches listens or participates so thank you again and you guys have a wonderful evening